Riley and Nancy probably saw it. And they were right there close to the area. So. Okay. <clears throat> Time to delve into the Word of God. <clears throat> so if you don't like to open up your Bible, <clears throat> I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard or the NAS uh, this morning. I just don't want you to just throw you off because a lot of times I interject my own particular translation to things. In other words, I don't always use, you know, the same translation. Uh, but uh, what I'm trying to do is glean from the original languages uh, the meaning and the understanding of the things that are really being conveyed here to my best ability. So you know, I just want you to know that, that sometimes you may think I'm off track and I'm really not. Uh, but that's what's going on. Now, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be wrapping up the chapter this morning. Uh, most of this chapter has had to do with church offices, first overseer and elder, and then after that, the office of deacon. And it's really kind of strange. So many people may look upon this particular verse here at the very end, verse 16, and they may say, why in the world is this here? Uh, because it's like a little hymn, or it's like a doxology. It's, it's just this, this statement of, uh, of the presence of the glory of God kind of thing. And it just, just appears here. There's no warning uh, or anything like that. So why in the heck does it happen to be here? I think it has everything to do with verse 15. So let's start there. Then in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. That's what we've been talking about with all of this church officer stuff. But then he says this, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So that is what this doxology has to do with is answering the question of what particular truth are you talking about? And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, beheld by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world taken up in glory. Obviously, a doxology about Jesus. See, this is the truth that Paul is getting to. This is what he says that the church is entrusted with, is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just have every aspect of the gospel in it. But it certainly has. It hits on most of the, the most central aspects of the work of Jesus and what he actually accomplished in that work on our behalf. First of all, by common confession. In other words, what Paul is saying is this is something that every Christian should ascribe to. In other words, he's hinting on some of the most fundamental aspects of the Christian religion. And he's saying to, the, to, to, to Timothy, and certainly he knows that this letter is going to be shared with other people. He's saying to these people that you all should be able to commonly confess these particular things about Jesus. 
And then he says, great is the mystery of godliness. Or you can read that as great is the mystery of our religion. I don't know how much you've contemplated who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished and all of that. If you haven't done that, you really need to. We spoke about mysteries uh, just a few weeks ago, and we said that the Trinity certainly is a mystery, that, that God is one in essence but three in persons. And we decided then that we can't really comprehend that fully, that it, that it just blows, it boggles our minds, but we believe it's true because Scripture teaches the truth of it. We also talk about Jesus. How is it that Jesus is one person, but he's got two natures? One's divine and the other is human. Mysterious. Beyond the understanding of people. But we believe it. Because scripture teaches it. Unfortunately, guys and gals, there are people who claim the name of Christ who would not confess these things. There are people who go by the name of Christian who deny some things just so very basic as the deity of Christ. There's a flavor of so-called Christianity that no longer recognizes Jesus as being God, but, but they see him only as a good man that God sent into the world for a purpose, and that purpose was to be a role model for you and me, to show us how we're supposed to be in order that we basically can earn our own salvation. And I would like to tell you that there's just a fraction, a small number of people that would fall in that category, but there are large denominations, my friends, in this nation that have that mindset. They no longer teach and preach the gospel of Scripture. They no longer teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They teach work salvation all over again which is the trap that mankind falls into time after time after time after time with the idea that how do I make myself right with God? I do it myself. They deny that we are in desperate need of a Savior, one who does it for us because we don't do it, we can't do it. We need him. Not just a little. We desperately need him. Without him, we are lost. Utterly. He who was revealed in the flesh. Obviously, who was it that was revealed in the flesh? Let me ask you that question to start with. How do you understand that? Who do you think the object of that question is? Okay. I would agree with that to a degree. 
But what I'm, what I'm getting at here, guys, is this. Is we know that God has made himself known. He's revealed himself to mankind in different ways. You understand that, right? Basic ways. One way is what we call special revelation, which is creation around us. And that is this. And that is when we look out and we see the trees and we hear the birds and we look at the stars and we see the eclipses in the sky and those kinds of things. We understand something, and that is this stuff did not come here by accident. This stuff was created by an almighty being. Let me tell you, that's, the, the nature around us is sufficient to bring someone to that understanding without Scripture. Just experiencing the world and the universe around us. But we understand that to come to what we call a saving knowledge of God requires Scripture and its teaching. And not only that, and it requires something called the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. That God must work in us first. He leaves us where we're at. That's where we're going to stay. So he's revealing himself to us in nature. He's revealing himself to us by his word. But, but what's getting, being pointed out here is this. is He's revealed us in a very special way that goes beyond both of those. And that way is this. He's revealed himself. God himself has shown himself to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus says, he who has seen me has what? He's seen the Father. He's seen God. Paul says in Colossians 2, 9, In him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In other words, if you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. He's the perfect image of God in human form. Hebrews 1, 1 talks about how God has spoken to us, spoke to our fathers in the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us how in his son. See, Jesus is the the end of all this. Jesus is what holds all of this together. You take Jesus out anywhere and it all comes tumbling down. It's all about him. We were talking about this in pastor's class a little bit this morning, and that is, it's hard for us to break out of this mindset because we are encouraged to believe this all the time, that it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about what I want, it's all about what I want to do, it's all about me, I'm the center of everything. And what this says is no. Jesus is the center. If you want to see God, all you have to do is look at Jesus. So God not only revealed in him, he's also vindicated or justified in the Spirit. 
Again, the being of Jesus is very mysterious in a lot of ways that he's both God and man. And when he's man, he's not only, he not only had a physical body, but he also had a human spirit, a soul, just like we do. And we know that at the time of his baptism, that Holy Spirit descended and rested upon him. And from Romans 1, chapter 1, or chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, one of the things that's made clear there is this, is it was by the power of that spirit that he was resurrected. And his resurrection is the absolute proof in the pudding that he is all he says that he is. Beheld by angels. Just think about this. It was an angel that came to make Jesus' birth announcement to Mary and to Joseph. Angel involved. And remember how the angels sang and glorified God on the night of the birth of Jesus. Remember the Holy Spirit was with Jesus in the wilderness. He was not all alone. And remember this, that angels were with Jesus at the time of his ascension. So angels have been part of the picture all along when it comes to Jesus. They've been there. They may not be the things that are emphasized in Scripture, but they've been there right along with Jesus. Helping him. Working with him. And you have this in Hebrews. Let all angels worship him. They know him in a way that you and I don't know him. They've known him for ever since God created angels, whatever that happened to be. They've known the Son of God. I want to read to you this morning from Revelation chapter 5. And some people might disagree with me, but really what I believe is being described here is the coronation of Jesus as he enters into heaven after his resurrection and ascension into heaven. And we obviously know, there are things about Revelation we don't know. There are signs and symbols and things like that we can't figure out. But there are some that are just as plain as day. And one of them is this, is the Lamb is Jesus. You understand that, right? And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the, eye, are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took it. He took the book with the seals, with the seven seals, out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. And thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and uh, and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. 
And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and living creatures, and the elders, and the numbers of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever where is Jesus now he's sitting on the throne of heaven at the right hand of God the father And all power and authority in heaven and earth have been given unto him. He rules on high. So you see, as great as the angels are, Jesus is far greater. He's also been proclaimed among the nations. You think about Jesus and his commissioning of the 11 apostles after Judas went his way. And Jesus said that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the world. And, and, and when we study epistles like we're studying First Timothy now, that's part of that picture of the apostles going out, even though Paul was called later on. But we know that Jesus commissioned Paul himself. To go to the Gentiles and go to the Jews and tell them about me. We talked last week about church planning and how Paul's intention was to create a church planning movement, which he did. And there's no telling how many people came to faith in Jesus Christ through the evangelism by those churches. And we're encouraged because we see the same thing happening with the PCA. Not to the magnitude, don't get me wrong, but that's exactly the approach that we take to ministry. is to start churches that start church planning movements. You think about the Great Commission that every believer is to go and make disciples of all nations. And sometimes that means going to the nations, and other times it means the nations may be coming to live next door to you or to work in the same place that you work or to go to the same school that you go to. Christianity spread through the the known world in the days of the apostles like a wild fire. It went from nothing to a world-dominating influence in just decades. There's never been anything like it in the history of the world. For the purpose of spreading the truth about Jesus is revealed in places like we have here in 1 Timothy to others. Anyone and everyone that will listen. 
like I alluded to the other morning, I've talked with Bo Lancaster before. I went to, I, I grew up in Ocala, and, 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 and I remember meeting his Uncle Ted when I was in third grade. I always thought his last name was cool because it was close to Winchester, and I was all into Western stuff. His name, last name is Lancaster. But not real close to his, to, his, to his uncle, and I knew his brother, who was a year behind me, just vaguely. It was, you know, we kind of probably knew each other. We passed each other in the hallway or something like that, but never did anything with him. And then about two or three years ago, I, get, I start hearing these rumblings about this young couple at uh, Good Shepherd over in Ocala. They were going on the mission field. And, and the kid's name was Bo, Bo Lancaster. And we tried to make a connection at that point. It didn't work out. But he called me. I, I, I bumped into him at Presbytery when that was just a couple of weeks ago. And he came over the other day and had lunch with me. He and his family are in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. For what reason? to tell people about Jesus. And some of you have been to Europe, and some of you haven't been to Europe. I was talking with, with Kim Ross not long ago, because I was in London years ago, and it was just a really fabulous place to, to visit. But what she said to me is this, is Keith, London's not what London used to be. It's changed. The culture's changed. People have changed. Lindsay and I were in France 15 years ago, and let me tell you, you saw church buildings one after the other all boarded up. There were still some cathedrals open where they had a worship service one time a month, but many of them are closed up too. There was a sense of deadness in that land. But at the same time, there was a refreshing breeze the gospel taking root again and spreading again. And they were part of it. The people that she stayed with, Donnie Clearly's Cobb, they were part of that. That's what the Swansons are doing in France. They're helping to plant churches. They've done it already. Now they've moved on to the next one. And this is exactly what Bo and his family are going to be doing in Rotterdam. Helping to plant churches for the evangelism of the Dutch people. Thank God for young people who are willing to go. Thank God for young people who are willing to sacrifice, to give up all kinds of things that most of us would consider to be absolutely precious and dear. And one of the things they give up is is a real connection very often with their family. This is the thing that Stephanie struggled with so long was she's very close to her mother uh, and father and to her sister, and she was homesick a bunch the first year she was in France. She almost gave up the ghost and came home. She was so lonely. But she stayed. And there's a church there. And she had a part of making it happen.
Hudson Taylor said this. I don't know if you know who Hudson Taylor is. He was a great event, one of the great, great evangelists from, from England that went, he went to China, early 1800s. And, and he was one of the first Europeans that were even allowed into China because China had been absolutely closed to foreigners. They, they didn't let people come in. You went into China, they killed you. So nobody went to China. And then in the early 1800s, the Spirit of God began to move in, the, in, in that nation. And so the doors were opened up. And Hudson Taylor was one of the very first missionaries to go there. And he gave a challenge to his, the church of his day. And that challenge goes on today. And he said this. He said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. In other words, it's not something you might want to just think about or talk about every now and then or look at on occasion. It's a command to be obeyed. Proclaim to the nations. Believed on in the world. I can remember, I've, I've read Hudson Taylor's biography, and it really is the most amazing thing. If you ever want to read some really heart-moving and, and, and just read his biography, It'll, it just blows your socks off. Because he was an unbeliever till he was like in his, his, his late teens. And his, his mother was like Monica, the mother of, uh, of Augustine, who prayed and prayed and prayed and, and with all of her might for years and years and years that her son would become a believer. And his father knew even before he became a believer that he was going to be a missionary in China. He knew it. He believed it. And so he went, and he gave up everything. He became a Chinese man, basically, a Chinaman. He spoke their language. Now, can you even imagine learning Chinese? He wrote their language. He wore Chinese garb. In his biography, how could they talk about, he talks about this this time he was out in very remote area of China and he went into this village and he came across this old man and he starts talking with him about Jesus and the old man said this why have you taken so long I have been waiting for you with this message most of you heard that uh, that Islam is spreading very rapidly across the world, and it is, but you need to understand something. So is Christianity in certain areas. It's like a wildfire in Africa today, and in certain parts of South America, Christianity is, is, is advancing very rapidly. I was curious the other day, so I got on the Internet. It's amazing the information you get on the Internet. I just do that. When I, when I can't remember how to spell the word, I just kind of type it in you know, and search it. So I, Figure out what the spelling is. <laughs> you ever do that? But I found a research report from the Pew Foundation from 2015 on world religions. And it kind of surprised me because it kind of spits in the face of some other things that I've heard. And at that point, there were 7.3 billion people on earth. 
And what they did was they, bro- they broke it down into people groups who identified themselves with particular religions. And you understand, it doesn't necessarily mean that they really were of that religion, but they identified themselves as being part of that religion. 24% of them identified themselves as Muslims. That's, so that's about a quarter. 15% as Hindus, which I thought would be a lot higher than it was. So only 7 as Buddhists. 6.5 as other religions. Only 16% identified themselves as unaffiliated. In other words, agnostics or atheists. They don't believe in God. Only 16%. Now, that... That doesn't sound anything like the statistics you're seeing on the, the news and all that today, how, how there's, you know, half the people in the world are unbelieving today and when it comes to God. People would like for you to believe that. But guess who sits on top of all of it? Christianity. 31% of those 7.3 billion people identify themselves as Christians. Has Jesus been proclaimed in the world? Is he being proclaimed in the world? Now you need to, you know me and you need to understand something. I understand a lot of those people are not really believers. They just identify. You know if you walk down the street here in Dunellen today and you stop people and you ask them what religion they are, the vast majority majority of them are going to tell you they're, they're Christians, but if you start to probe them for questions, it will come to, to your knowledge very quickly that they don't even understand the very basics of what Christianity is. So we're not talking here necessarily about those who are really practicing their religion. We're just talking about how, what religion people identify themselves with. And the vast majority of Americans, even today, identify themselves with Christianity, even though there are a lot of people this morning that are not worshiping God anywhere. Believed in the world, proclaimed, taken up in glory. I don't know if you've read in, your, in, the, in the Bible, you know, the, the, the narratives that talk about Jesus' ascension into heaven. Have you ever read them? They don't really sound that phenomenal. I mean, they really don't. Not at all. Not very impressive. Not spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. Nothing like that. As a matter of fact, A couple of them, Matthew and John, don't even mention it at all. Luke gives us the most detailed account, and it's not even in Luke. It's in Acts. And it talks about how Jesus was lifted up. And there was a big crowd watching. There was 11 guys watching. Those 11 apostles were watching. No one else, as far as we know. And then there was this army of angels that suddenly appear, and just, or this chariot of fire that swooped down from heaven like it happened with Elijah and carried Jesus up to heaven. No. 
two angels appeared with Jesus. Doesn't sound very spectacular at all, does it? Let's be honest, does it? Really? Doesn't sound like any great big deal. Doesn't sound that much about something that people ought to be that excited about. I think what is being referred to most, more than anything else is the glory that he entered into in heaven as we read about in Revelation chapter 5 this morning. Glory of God. Those two angels had a message. He's going to come again just as he is leaving. He's going to do it again. You need to understand something, that, that, the, that the world as a whole seeing the glory of God in Jesus Christ is not come yet. But it will come. When Jesus comes again, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the tribes, all the tribes of earth will mourn. In other words, they're not going to, the, you know, those who are not believing are not going to be rejoicing that Jesus is going to come. They're going to be mourning. Because all this hogwash that these Christians have been trying to sell to us is actually true. Uh oh. Big uh oh. Super big uh oh. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with what? With great power and glory. See, it's not about me. Not so much about you. It's about him. It's about his story. It's about who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do. And you and I just ought to be as thankful as we can be that he's included us to be a part of it. Some of you really like fairy tales. I like fairy tales, fantasies and things like that. You understand there are a lot of people who believe that the things I just said to you are nothing but fairy tales. But what do you think? What do you believe? What do you know? And how do you live it?